0: If you'd turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we'll be picking it up in verse 42 uh, this morning. Um, We're in a series called Essentials, and we're talking about the essentials of the Christian faith. And so uh, you might have seen when you walked in that we have brand new kind of, you know, uh, banners on the wall here. I hate the word banner, but yeah, we have banners over there. And so over here and over there, it says, Love Jesus, Live Outward, and it basically describes who we are as a church. At Outward Church, we exist to make disciples who love Jesus and live outward. Love Jesus is described as people uh, who are marked by his story, uh, his people, and his rule. People who love Jesus are marked by the story of Jesus, the story of God's redemption uh, for us. People who love Jesus are marked by his people. Like the people of God have marked them indelibly, and like they are continually being marked by God's people as they serve alongside of them and so forth. But then they're also marked by the rule of Jesus. We've talked quite a bit about how uh, Jesus is our savior but we don't talk a lot about how Jesus is our king. And we talked about that last week. Is Jesus your king? I know he's your savior and you know he's your your savior, but is he your king? Do you live under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ as king in his kingdom that is already, but not quite yet, and so it's kind of hard to understand entirely, but Jesus is our king. That's So we've been talking about what it means to love Jesus, and we're moving on to what it means to live outward. We're moving on to what it means to, to be people who live outwardly the faith that they have as a result of being believers. Now I want to tell you that this is a a huge passion of mine when it comes to the local church. And the reason is is because I as a young man when I was involved in the church and really uh, uh, coming to a point when I realized I wanted to be a part of full-time vocational ministry, I looked at the church and I said, I see a lot of people who are attending, I see a lot of people who are just kind of here, but I don't see their life kind of being impacted. In fact, there's a a passage in Ephesians, and really, the book of Ephesians uh, greatly, greatly impacted me. This is awful, because I should have marked this in my Bible, and I'm going to, oh, there it is, there it is, too. Uh... In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, I I remember hearing this verse over and over again. I remember hearing uh, this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, I heard that over and over and over again. And what I heard was salvation is not by works, not by works, not by works. You cannot do enough good to make God love you. God already loves you. He went to the cross for you. That's what it is. It is not by works. But then I began to think to myself, but does God want us to do good works? I mean, I know it's by grace, but does God want us to do good works? Does God want us to be like Jesus in our world? And of course, the answer to that is absolutely yes. And what happens is this is that oftentimes we leave off the last verse here, verse 10, which really goes alongside of this. Look at verse 9 again, chapter 2, verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, we are God's work, and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the thing. We don't do good works to get God. We get God in order to do good works. And sometimes at Outward Church, where we have gotten, as we have gotten these things kind of switched around a little bit, where we have put pressure on our church because we've said we are Outward Church, we must live outwardly. And that means that we've got to serve. We've got to give. And we've got to speak the gospel to people. And and many, many times, I think there was a sense in which where people were trying to give out of a well that had run dry. And they're trying to give and they're trying to give, but they don't have it to give. And I don't know if you feel like that or not. But sometimes when it comes to the things that God is calling us to, and God is calling us to live for Him and sacrifice for Him or something like that. Or when we hear a really good sermon on giving and it makes us feel really guilty and yet we sit there and we kind of go, but I don't want to, but I don't want to. Where do we get that passion? Where do we get the passion to be able to give to God His due because of what He's done for us? Where do we get that passion? So we want to get into that a little bit. We're going to be talking about giving and the idea of generosity today. And one of the most beautiful parts about teaching about giving is that it's really easy to get people to give if you can just make them feel guilty. And so, (laughs) here we go. Uh, I'm not looking to make anybody feel guilty I'll just let me just confess my my sins before you today I had the hardest time tithing before I started a church that's pretty bad huh I had the hardest time tithing and it's because I I couldn't get my finances together I was a financial wreck sometimes and so I came to this point in my life where I was like uh, you know, I was working on, on that and working on it, and then I started a church, and I was like, uh, I, I cannot ask anybody else to do something that I am not doing, so there's great motivation behind it to begin giving, and so that's, that's a little bit of my history there, but here's what you need to know and you need, need to understand. The idea of giving or generosity in the context of uh, our relationship with God is not the sum total of what it means to be generous. The the idea of tithing is really just a very small piece of that. It's a very small piece of it, and it really can be turned into a legalism. It really can be turned into a legalism. What I wanna show you right now is is a church that got it in total in many respects. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the Apostles. Now, let's just stop right there for just a second. Like, there is this group of people that have absolutely been impacted by the gospel, to the point where they have devoted their lives they d- devoted themselves to sitting under the teaching of the word of god to sitting under the teaching of his story i'm pointing back at this banner back here in case you don't know that but his story the teaching of uh, about jesus jesus christ and so here's these people who have devoted themselves to sitting under the teaching of the word and 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 then to fellowship like connecting with one another on a regular basis, and breaking bread, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, if you're like me, when, I, when you read that, like I, I look at that and I just go, that would be so awesome on so many levels, like to be like in this passionate group of people I mean, it's really like the first instance of the church kind of coming together. It's right after uh, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and everyone's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter preaches this amazing sermon, and all of these people get saved. And they come together, and they're just like, they are in it to win it. They are passionate believers. And so they're marked by the teaching of Jesus. And they're involved in this fellowship, it says a little bit later in verse 42, this idea of fellowship, the Greek word there actually means to share with someone in something. There was, this, there was this idea that they were not just under the teaching, but that there was a mutual sharing. There was a sharing that was going on. They were giving something of themselves as they were there. So when we talk about the idea of uh, loving his story and loving his people... It can't happen without the context of this giving spirit, this generosity that's taking place. They're breaking bread and they're praying together. They're sharing a common meal. They continue to pray at these set times throughout the day because that's historically what these people had done. Go back to verse 43, which says that they're they're in awe of what God is doing. They're impacted deeply by how God is working in their community and with their people and they are just consistently just like Dude, what is God doing here this is amazing and then he says in verse 44 and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need now right now the idea Of socialism or communism to some degree, mostly socialism, it has become somewhat of a popular idea, uh, politically speaking. And the reason is, is because I think these people that that support this idea come by it honestly, because they look at the world and they say, you know, people who have more should give to people who have less, and the government should facilitate that. The problem with it is this is that that is not generosity that's not giving out of a heart that's overflowing for what they have it is forced generosity which is actually not generosity so what these people what they want and 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 i think that they are well-intentioned what they want is that they see a perfect world they see a perfect kingdom if you will where ultimately everyone willingly says, yes, I want to give up my possessions and my goods, and I want to give up the things that I have in order to support those in need, or just to bless somebody, just because I want to bless them. Like, this is what they're saying. I want that kind of place, and I want to create that right here and right now. The bad news is that Jesus is not the king of their kingdom. But the good news is this, is that Jesus promises that those of us who catch this bug, who catch this, uh, this inkling, this idea, that when I come to Jesus and when I realize everything that he's done for me, then I automatically begin to want to give to others. If I've truly experienced the grace of Jesus, then I dispense with the grace that he has given me to other people. And that's what was happening in this situation. And it says it says this. And it, ultimately what it means is this is that their generosity, their giving to other people was voluntary and occasional. It was was a part of their life, it was was regular. I I shouldn't say occasional, it was regular. It was voluntary and regular. And they were consistently giving out things that they had in order to support other people. And it says they continued to be devoted uh, to the temple together, attending the temple, I should say. They were breaking bread in their homes. There was this community that was happening. They were sharing their food. It says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts and the end result of that, verse 47, was that they were praising God and that they were having favor with everyone. They were praising God on a regular basis. Like this place just sounds like la-la land I think in some respects. Because you just go, you know what, we leave here church on Sunday and we go back to our homes, to our isolated places to wherever we are in life. And the idea of thinking about other people on a consistent basis is just, I I think it's kinda absent. It's at least absent from my mind all the time. As I've been preparing for this sermon and and thinking about it, you know, obviously you wanna apply the sermon that you're preaching to yourself. And so I began to think, like, do I think uh, about generosity? Am I thinking about regularly being generous to other people? And I can't say that, I, that it always is. I can't say that that's the way that it consistently is in my life. I know I love to be generous. I love it when I am generous. But am I looking for opportunities to be generous and to give to other people? Things that maybe they don't have because of, of not just because of this, but because the end result of this was that as they were praising God, with their finances, as they were praising God with their possessions, with their goods, with their food, with their time, that they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Like this became an irresistible community. It became an irresistible community of people that that people in their city and around them and their friends just wanted to hang out with them. And so much of our world today is about separation. You can unfriend the people that are, that are not in the same political uh, group as you are. And you can not hang out with the people that you really dislike. And so we can isolate ourselves. And so we kind of come to this point where we're just kind of uh, blessed in order to bless ourselves rather than blessed in order to be a blessing to the whole earth. And we, we fall out of the idea of what's taking place here. And the idea is this, is that when true generosity hits our, our hearts, when true generosity is a part of who we are, that the people around us are going to see that and to know it and to understand it as such. But instead, oftentimes, we're isolated. We're isolated from our community. So let me just say a couple of things real quick. What is, uh, what it isn't, what, what generosity is not, what giving is not, what, what, what this isn't, First of all, it isn't just tithing or giving 10% of your income to the church. It's not just that. Now, that can be a piece of it, but the problem is is that I think for many years what I did was was like I tried to give 10% and I didn't do it very well. But what I would see as like, okay, I'm, I'm generous. I prove it by, by, by giving this amount of money. But the truth is that generosity hadn't hit my heart. I turned generosity into a work. I turned it into a legalism. I turned it into something that I just accomplish one time. Or perhaps regularly uh, each month. And so that's what tithing can oftentimes turn into. Is it just turns into legalism. It turns into this idea of I did it and now I'm done. It would be a little bit like uh, basically saying to my wife, you know what, I told you I loved you on our, our wedding day and that should be enough, You know that's, that, that should be great. And because ultimately I kind of did it once and so therefore that should kind of last forever. But what happens when the gospel hits our hearts is not just that we we give once or maybe just once per month or something like that, but that we are changed from uh, being people who are doing I'm do I do generosity in these couple of places to another level, which is I I I am generous. I am being generous. God changes. Who we are internally, there's supernatural change that can happen in us that changes us from being sparing and stingy and ungenerous and people that are constantly concerned about ourselves and constantly putting ourselves in debt because we still don't believe that we have enough to the point where we we just we're, we never have any room to be generous. God changes us from that to being people who are living wholeheartedly For Jesus because of everything that he's done for us. So first of all, this idea of generosity is not just giving 10% of your income. Let's just set that aside. And then secondly, it's not driven by guilt or force or mandate. Generosity cannot be driven by guilt. And so if you're here this morning and you start to feel like, you know what, it's really true. I haven't really been giving what I need to give. Just understand this. Let's just apply the gospel to that sense of guilt, that sense of shame right now. Jesus went to the cross for that. Jesus went to the cross for that. And he has absolved you of any and all sin, and he looks at you and he sees you as a perfect individual. And the truth is this, is that as if guilt persists in your life in that respect, then what you're not seeing is you're not seeing that Jesus went to the cross for you. So the first thing that we have to know is this, is that this cannot be something, generosity cannot be driven, giving cannot be driven by guilt. It cannot be driven by guilt or shame because that's not real generosity. That's being driven by force or by mandate or by my ability to make you feel more guilty. And that is not what God has uh, in store. The third thing that it is not, it is not just for some people with that gift. We, sometimes people talk about like, you know, I'm, I just don't feel really gifted uh, right now to serve in this way or to give in that way. I, d- I don't think God has given me the gift of, of those things. And the truth is this, is that I think that passage kinda shows us that like when people come to know Jesus and they are deeply impacted by that, that all of them were together. That all of them were passionate about being generous with each other. And so what we can say is this, is that it's not only for some people with that gift, but it's for everyone who has received the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because it has impacted their life. So what is it? Generosity, what we, well, the way that we like to talk about giving, that giving and generosity should be happening in three areas. In the home, in the church, and in the city. There should be three areas where we're continually being generous with the people that are, that are around us. Let me tell you about my lack of generosity in, in my home. My lack of generosity in my home extends when I am sitting on the couch and I don't get up to help, which has happened a lot, and we talk about it a lot. Like I need to get up off the couch, and I need to generously give myself to my wife and and give myself to my kids to make myself available. See, generosity isn't just about financial or monetary or or property that we have, but generosity is a generosity of spirit that I'm giving myself in my home. In the context of the marriage relationship, it is being generous with your body. It's being generous with your love, with your good words, your loving words towards your husband or towards your wife. There's a generosity of spirit that's happening with your kids where I'm not just always working on things, which is my tendency, but that I have left room for generosity with my kids for when they want to tell me a story that seems to have no point at times and just goes on for a little while. And you just go, but I'm generous. I have to be generous with my time, with my children. So, generosity, if it hasn't hit your home, then what, what the problem with that is that it's not hitting really anywhere else in reality. It's got to hit to the closest people around you. So if you're generous in lots of other areas, like if you're generous in the church with your time, you're serving, 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 and yet your spouse at home is like, hey, when the heck are you going to have time for the people that you live with? Generosity hasn't really hit your life. Something else is driving you not the generosity of Jesus. So it's gotta begin in the home, but then it needs to go into the church. That there's this idea that when we love God's people that we're concerned for who they are and what's going on in their lives. Like we have a concern for Jesus' church and for his people, and so what we end up doing is we end up serving them. There's times where we, because we're in community group, or because we hear about something that happened, somebody had a baby or there was a death in in the family or something like that, we bring them a meal. There's a generosity in that. And sometimes there's just people who are dealing with difficult circumstances and we invite them over and we're generous with them. And sometimes there's people that come in our doors that have never uh, heard about the grace of Jesus Christ or don't know how to apply it. We have a lot of people that come to church here that have believed that uh, relationship with God happens because of what they do, and sometimes it's just great to bring them over to our house and have dinner with them and to love them and serve them and begin to get into the gospel with them and what the gospel actually says, and that is you cannot earn your way toward Jesus. There's in the home, there's in, in the church. There's a generosity about our time really in the church. I think about men who are in business, uh, men and women I should say, who are in business, who can mentor the next, the next generation, who can be generous with their time and how they spread their time around and how they can make themselves available to people who need mentoring, whatever, whatever stage of life that is, whether it's business or how to be a mom or what have you, there's a generosity about that. But then there's in the city. What does it look like to be generous in the city? Many of us don't necessarily, uh, maybe even completely understand what that looks like. But there's a generosity in your workplace. The generosity that comes from going above and beyond in your workplace and basically uh, doing more than enough going above and beyond what your employer has asked for. It means putting in more time than maybe you're even paid for occasionally. It means that you are generous with the people that you work with. Hey, I got that, I know you, you clean that all the time, let me clean it this time. Well, it's my job, I know, but I just wanna help. You've been doing a ton of work, let me be generous with you. Let me be generous with, with what you have going on in your life. There's a generosity that comes with, with our employer. I mean, you could just apply it in so many different ways in, in, in that respect. But what we wanna, what we wanna know and understand from the people that hire uh, individuals from outward churches, we want them to be able to say he or she is the best dang worker. Like, I have made so much money because of that person, and the way that they work, and the fact that they don't complain, and the fact that they work more than they get paid for, or whatever it is, it's like there's a generosity about who you are. There's a generosity about what you're doing. If you're a business owner, when you receive from your employees, when you receive uh, wh- whatever it is, you, you're making a profit from employees. And to never go back and give to them something along those lines, to never go back and to bless them monetarily is kind of asinine. You get to be a business owner and you get to bless other people with what God has blessed you with. We have a, there's a great story that I'd love to tell you this morning, but I can't entirely, about somebody that goes to our church and who received amazing blessing um, from God monetarily. He uh, made all kinds of money, and as a result, he turned around and blessed his employees. And it was so cool to hear this story about how somebody had blessed the people in his life. And I think what he got is this, is that he was blessed in order to be a blessing to people around them. This is what it means when it says, you know, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People are seeing the truth of Jesus Christ being played out in these lives. And it really impacted their city. It very much impacted their city So how can we get this type of generosity in our lives? I was doing some reading just on, you know, psychology websites and so forth about how to become more generous. And their idea of generosity is you just got to do it. It'll make you happier, and so you just got to do it. The biblical understanding of what it looks like to be generous is the idea that, like, I am filled up in order to give out. I'm not drawing from a well that is dry. I am filled up to the degree that like my finances and my property and my time and all of the things that I have are loosened from me because I feel so rich in Christ. So first of all, there's this amazing gratitude and people who express generosity for what God has done for them. There's an amazing gratitude. In fact, what I didn't read to you from Acts chapter two, was the previous verses which talk about this uh, the, uh, the apostle peter says this uh, in chapter 2 verse 36 he said let all the house of israel therefore know for certain that god has made him both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified Peter's giving this amazing sermon and he's saying, hey, I know you guys got caught up. I know that like you guys were like in a frenzy to kill this guy, but you just killed the Christ. The one that you've been saying that you were waiting for, you just killed him. And they were like, oh, crud, we killed God. And they're cut to the heart, it says. It says that they are cut to the heart and they go, oh, no, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And as a result, what happens is this, is that these people go, man, I've been forgiven of that. Like, I literally killed Jesus. I sat in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, or whatever it was. They feel such an absolute uh, problem in their hearts because they had killed God. And so they're acting out of gratitude. God has given me so much here. God has given me this in Jesus. And so how can I not give back? How can I not give him what is his due? Oftentimes people get so caught up, not just in uh, the idea of hanging on to their possessions, but what's really driving the idea of them hanging on to their possessions is that they believe that they are the ones who affected and made the gifts that they have. They oftentimes believe that, like, you know, why should I give this back to other people? In fact, Republicans are horrible at this. Because what what we end up saying oftentimes, if we're conservative in this room, is that we end up saying, you know what, I earned this money, you can't take it from me, and so there, that we shouldn't be doing that, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, I would agree that the government probably shouldn't be doing some of the things that it's doing, but the truth is, is that we can't fully say, like, hey, I earned this money with my gifts and with my abilities. What we have to say is that God is the giver of every good thing. James 1.17, every good, good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Like every good gift that I have, it comes from God. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, uh, for who sees anything different in you, what do you have that you did not receive? See, part of our problem, part of the barrier to us like acting in gratitude is that instead of being thankful for how Jesus has saved us, like we're sitting there asserting the reality that like, hey, all these gifts, I clawed my way up this mountain. I got out of poverty uh, from my, my family, my upbringing. And so here I am, I worked myself here and why would I give anybody, anything to anybody else? And so we find ourselves not being grateful in the ways that God would call us to be grateful. But ultimately what it comes down to is this, is that How do we appreciate, how do we live in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us? Generosity thrives in the soil of gratitude. Generosity thrives in the soil of gratitude. And the question is, is that do you fertilize that soil? Do you fertilize that soil with the truth of what Jesus has done for you? It says in uh, 2 Corinthians here, chapter eight, verses eight and nine. It says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Apostle Paul is saying, like, I I want you to, to be seen as and to be known as people who are genuine in your faith. And like genuine faith is, is seen and shown when we understand the life of Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he had everything, though he, though he is rich, and yet when he looked at you, when he sees you, he has compassion on you, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Like Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. Like there's a richness in the gospel that like transcends money and property and things there's a richness in the gospel the apostle paul repeatedly talks about the riches that come from life in christ ephesians 1:7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace ephesians 2:7 that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 8. uh, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3.16, the riches of his glory. Philippians 4.19, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27, the riches of the glory of this mystery. Colossians 2.2, the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Do you see that what God wants you to understand is that like when generosity isn't a part of our community, what that points to is that the story of Jesus and what it has given us is nowhere near having hit our hearts. Like we don't feel like rich people, we feel like poor people and we say, I just want more, I just want more, I just want more. And it's evidenced by the level of debt that we have The lack of time that we have to serve other people because we say I just need more, I just need more, I just need more, I just need more. But here's what Jesus did for us. He became poor so that we could become rich. He became poor so that we could become truly rich. Rich in Christ. Rich in grace rich in the generosity that he has given us. And what happens as a result of that is ultimately an amazing joy. I was thinking about this just, I think this morning and maybe a little bit last night as I'm wrapping up my sermon, that like, could we say that we are a joyful group of people? Like, is there joy that permeates our lives and in our hearts? And I'm not sure that we necessarily can. I'm not criticizing you for your lack of joy or anything like that, but I, would, I just want to ask, like, is there a joy that we have? Because I think generosity, like the end of generosity that's driven by this amazing gratitude this, the end of generosity is this ultimate and final joy. It's joy in the reality that we get to serve somebody, but then it's also joy in the reality that we're giving back. We're kind of replicating what Jesus has done for us. That we are becoming poor for the sake and allowing someone else to become rich. This incredible passage in uh, in Hebrews chapter twelve. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we're looking to Jesus. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. And what are we looking to him for? And it says this, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross... Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like this Jesus, this guy, he is is the founder, he's the perfecter of our faith. And what did he do? He endured the cross. He went to the cross. And what is going to the cross? It's not just that he endured the cross, it's that he gave you the cross. He gave you, and you, and you, and you, and and me. He gave us, and what did he give us on the cross? Did he give us a little bit of himself? Was he sparing? Was he stingy? What Did he lack generosity? Did he say, I don't have time for that? No, he went to the cross and he endured it. But why did he endure it? But why did he endure it? Jesus endured the cross, it says, for the joy that was set before him. And it's 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 one of the most beautiful statements in the scriptures. I think it's unique in some ways. Because it, it shows us something about Jesus. That Jesus wasn't just kind of carrying out something that like the father told, like the father was like, hey, he needs you to go down and be crucified. And he's like, okay, all right. I'm just being obedient to the father and I'll, and I'll go do that. And I think sometimes that's how I look at the gospel. But like... Jesus willingly went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, it wasn't that he was just like, you know, I know that this needs to happen. I know that it was planned before the foundations of the earth. But it was like he looked at you, and he looked at me, undeserving schmucks. Sorry, I just called you a schmuck. I'll call myself a schmuck, right? He looked at me, and and he loved me so much in spite of the fact that I was going to sin against him and sin against him and continue to sin against him, even after he saved me, that he was going to love me so much, and that what was going to bring him joy was that this sinner, Matt Porter, or whatever your name is, was going to be saved. Was going to live eternally with him for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy? You and I are the joy. The generosity that Jesus brings to us is shown to us in the cross and it is poured out on us as joy and it brings Jesus joy. And the question is this do you and I lack joy? When we think about generosity and when we th- think about giving, is the first thing that comes to our mind, ah, I need to I really need to up my tithe. Got to raise and I need to up my tithe. Because that's not joy. That's not motivated by joy and love. It's motivated by guilt and shame. And Jesus does not motivate with guilt and shame. Jesus motivates with giving everything. Jesus motivates with joy. Won't you be like Jesus and give everything for the joy that is set before you, that you get to love people in your home, in your church, and in your city, in your job, in and around you? Men and women, when I'm in our city and I meet people and I... I've tried to figure this out. Sometimes I can spot a Christian, not because they have a rip, ripped-off, you know, logo from Sprite that says "Spirit" or, you know, something stupid like that. Sorry if you own that. That's a really lame shirt. But, um, but I look at their life and I go, and I'm and I'm watching them interact with people. They're generous in spirit. And I, and I wanna stop them and I wanna say, you're a believer, aren't you? And I've done this before. You're a believer, aren't you? And I find out, yes, they are a believer. And it's because they're generous in spirit. Because of the way that they work at the cash register is generous. How are you today? How can I help you? How can I generously give this to you? When I see a man, the way that he works with his spouse and I see the generosity of, hon, I'll go out to the car and get the diapers. Let me go change. This is something I never did. I, I was learning from that man. Uh, I, I am very ashamed of how many times I changed diapers. The generosity that flows and the joy that we bring to people's lives because we get to be generous. Men and women, this is what we bring to our community. It's not these sullen faces of, I got a stinking tithe. But I get to give everything to Jesus because he left it all on the cross. He gave it all. And it was for the joy set before him, which is me, which is you. And he's joyful over you. Won't you bring joy to other people motivated by the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross? Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, this morning we're asking and praying that you would allow us to become people if we are not already people that are motivated by your incredible generosity on the cross, Lord, that we'd be motivated by the power that was, um, that the power that took place on the cross. That, Lord, you, you have the ability to change us. And, Lord, you promise supernatural change versus being morally restrained. So, Lord, I pray that we would not be that, but Lord, that we'd be supernaturally changed into generous people who love you deeply and therefore love the people around us and want to serve them and give them everything. But we pray for this in, in your name. Amen.